Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Premed year, session number 399. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. I have a great episode today, a repeat guest, Larry Cohen, a lawyer who does a lot of work for providers, whether they're vets or doctors, professionals, really, healthcare professionals who have licenses and who are credentialed and people who run into issues with the law and with their license and credentials. And I had Larry on the podcast back in episode 197, almost uh, more than 200 episodes ago. And we talked about can you get into medical school if you've been arrested, if you have any legal issues? And he's been fielding a lot of calls from students because of that episode. And with that knowledge, we're kind of diving in a little bit deeper today to give you some advice. Now, even if you don't have any criminal record, this is still a good episode for you because What schools are potentially looking for, what credentialing bodies are looking for, what residency programs are looking for when it comes to answering questions based on prior legal issues. The question and your response is really all about your growth. And so even if you don't have any legal issues, you can still learn something here about how to answer questions based on growth. So hope you enjoy our episode today. Before I jump in, I'm recording this mid-July. Now, hopefully in a month or so, Mapped will be out. Now, if you haven't checked out Mapped, go to mappd.com. Now, as of right now, pre-order special, a pre-order special is still in place. You get a discount on Mapped. Mapped is a new technology platform that I've wanted to build forever. And I finally was able to partner up with Rachel Grubbs, who is someone who's had 
almost 20 years experience in the pre-health test prep world. And when she was available to to really partner with me, be a co-founder with me on this project, uh, we jumped at the chance because it's it's a technology that hasn't been invented yet, uh, hasn't been created yet, and it's something that I've wanted to do forever. And we have over 700 students who have pre-ordered, which tells me that you want this too. So go check out Mapped, M-A-P-P-D. Dot com. Part of being a pre-order special, you get to get into our uh, special mapped Facebook group. We don't know if we're going to open that up to regular orders at this point. We may, uh, but we're doing Ask the Dean in there, which is a Facebook Live every Monday. Uh, those will go out on our YouTube channel as well in the future and as a podcast as well. Dr. Scott Wright is our VP of Academic Advising. He's the former Director of Admissions at UT Southwestern, the former uh, executive director at TMDSAS. He's got so much experience. He's our, our first hire at Mapped. So go check it out, mapped.com without the E, M-A-P-P-D dot com. Let's go and jump in. Say hello to Larry. Larry Cohen, welcome back to the Pre-Med Years Podcast. How are you? Fine. How are you doing today? I am doing great. I'm excited to bring you back on. We, we had you back on almost, what, two two plus years ago, episode 197, talking about, can you become a doctor if you've been arrested? And since that time, you've had chats with lots of pre-med students who uh, you graciously have have chatted with. And I want to continue the conversation with you, basically bringing conversations that you've had with students to life here on the podcast to answer some more questions, to help some more students who may be freaking out if they have a prior criminal record or any other issues in their application, potentially legal, legal issues. Yeah. The, I, I've received lo- loads of phone calls from, from students and uh, seek or people who seek to be students. And invariably they are extremely stressed and extremely nervous about what may happen to them. They've done all of this work to get to this point. They've done well in school. They've, even have places that they feel confident they're going to be able to get into. And their looming comes this question about whether or not they've had any prior contact with the police or prior contact with the courts or convictions. And, and uh, the issue then is what do I do? And is this going to keep me from, from getting into medical school? Yeah. Why do schools care about that question? Well, schools care about the question for lots of reasons. Ultimately, the most significant reason is that when someone then goes to get a license, uh, having having been in um, having been in medical school and graduated, they now have to try to get a board to approve them. And the concern is that when they get to that point, they may have put in all of this time in medical school and find that they are unable to uh, uh, get licensed anywhere. Uh, and so the schools are doing this to some degree as a as an initial check on uh, potential uh, practitioners to see if they're going to have a problem being practiced. There's also concern about uh, the fact that this is a highly, highly uh, competitive process. And it's another way to sort of identify the people who are going to be more likely to be successful and less likely to suffer issues once they get into the practice of medicine. And third, to some degree, 
it's a it's a measure of I think how uh, ready people are to deal with the medical school environment and all the pressures that are associated with it. How well have they done with crises in the past, and what can they do within the future? Really, it's mostly the first two, I think, but I think the third one plays a role as well. I think given given that and and given kind of the the climate that we're in with in this country with social justice and students are out protesting potentially getting arrested um we we have this huge um disparity among disadvantaged among people of color who who may have run-ins with the law much more frequently than than those who are white the the question comes well isn't this just another way to to hold down and disadvantage those who are already disadvantaged how how can someone look at this and go well they they're going to allow um people who have shown growth to continue down this path and not just shut the door well that is a huge problem because unfortunately uh these kinds of issues are distributed disproportionately uh, by race and ethnicity and economic background. Um, certainly one way to respond to these questions would be to challenge the appropriateness of asking in the first place. But the reality is um, that whether it gets asked at this level or it gets asked at the next level, it's ultimately a question that that is asked and needs to be addressed. Um, my work through the years has been to try to help people address it face on, meaning on the merits of the issue presented, but certainly people who want to take on this issue as a another way in which they are being treated uh, unfairly and in a, uh, a biased or prejudiced kind of way are certainly welcome to do so. I, I think that's a long-term problem that needs to be addressed, whether that happens in the next year or two or in longer than that is hard to say. But the immediate problem is uh, getting past these issues and uh, overcoming the, the potential impediment to getting into into medical school. Yeah. What is the, the, the main takeaway, right? If someone wants to turn off the podcast right now and stop listening, what's the main takeaway that, that students should walk away with knowing uh, if they have a, a record or have some sort of criminal background, um, legal issues in the past that, that they need to get across to the medical schools and in the future to residency programs and to employers? Well, there's a lot to talk to talk about here, but I would say the central takeaway is whatever you do in the context of trying to respond to one of these inquiries, be honest and straightforward in your response. Uh, I tell people that I represent and consult with all the time that the problem that you're confronting in terms of a prior arrest or a prior conviction is something that can be dealt with uh, for the most part. Sometimes, rarely, there are things that can't, but most everything can be dealt with. What is uh, a huge problem and will be an impediment throughout is someone not being honest and not being straightforward. In my experience at the level of people who have licenses, 
when the boards have gone back and found out that someone made a false statement in a uh, school application, a job application, a credential application, anywhere, they find that someone's been dishonest, they are prepared to revoke their licenses. Um, it is a very serious uh, problem from the standpoint of the regulatory boards when they find that someone is not being honest. And the re reason for that is that it throws off believability or credibility everywhere along the way. So um, don't respond by trying to hide the fact of a conviction or arrest and don't respond by hoping that things will not be found and you can simply say no in response to the question. You, you really have to respond honestly. And the key is to respond honestly in a way that will be productive rather than counterproductive. Is this a, an argument to like a judge almost? Anyway, well, your honor, I'm not guilty because of this, even though they said that, right? Or, or is it just much more straightforward? Like, here's why I was arrested. Here's what happened. Here's how I've grown. What, what are you, what's your thought behind that? Oh, it's exactly what you just said. Uh, you know, in, in all, in all these instances, we're dealing with prior facts. And most of the time, or prior events, and most of the time, people have dealt with those events in the moment. So they may have done something that was responsive and complete by addressing what took place and uh, dealing with the, the outcome and taking whatever responsibility they have to do for it. So, for example, they've driven while intoxicated, they acknowledge that, they accepted whatever the court uh, or, well, it will be a court, whatever the court's done and gone about their punishment or whatever it may be and then made an effort in the future to behave appropriately or in the time they may have tried to evade it or tried to avoid it or tried to do something. They may have pled guilty to something they didn't do to avoid something more serious happen. They may have done a lot of things in the past, but the fact is that the past is what it is. And so going forward at this stage, when you're applying for medical school, it's a matter of going in and, and accounting for what happened, saying, here's what happened. Here's a way it processed out. Uh, here's the context in which it occurred. Uh, here's what I did to address that. And now here's what my future will look like. So it's, it, it's entirely about taking account of what happened, explaining it or reporting it. And then talking about how the future has been different and therefore this event does not define who I am. That's, that's what this is all really about. Yeah. A big question that I see a lot that I'm sure you see a lot uh, is students who either are minors when they have some sort of run in with the law or through whatever legal proceedings, their records are expunged or sealed or something like that. And they, they've been given some counsel. They, they've been given some advice that, oh, nobody can find this information. So you don't have to say yes to anything. Well, uh, and people come to me often and say that, well, this lawyer told me this and so I don't have to account for it. And when I tell them that they may have to do otherwise, they don't particularly like my advice. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's what it is. It's advice. You can follow it or not. Um, the real issue is the question. What is the question that's being asked? If the question is being asked is, 
do you have as an adult any convictions? Then you answer that question. If the question is, as a juvenile, have you ever been uh, found uh, juvenilely responsible? Um, or have you found been found to have committed a juvenile offense and been referred to whatever agency? When the question asks about the existence of a juvenile activity, uh, the fact that it was done as a juvenile and there may not be an accessible, a readily accessible or publicly accessible file is not an acceptable answer. You have to acknowledge that you did that. And uh, while it is assumed that files are always closed, the reality is that that's not necessarily the case. Let me give you an example. I had a, a individual I represented who, um, this is an adult, uh, was convicted of a very serious crime. Uh, he was told that his record was expunged. And so when asked whether he'd been convicted of any crimes, he said no. Um, and uh, the agency involved did a public record search and found that while the court record may have been expunged, the police records had not. And the police records led to the court records, led to the fact that this individual had this uh, prior conviction, which they did not acknowledge. And this person did not get licensed uh, because of what had occurred. And again, that was mostly, a, in my view, an issue of a lack of honesty. So all of these things have a way of becoming accessible, especially in our technologically searching environment where nothing seems to be a secret from anybody. <laughs> nothing, anymore, so. nothing is hidden. I was just having this conversation recently with, with friends. Like, man, I'm so glad I grew up in a time where not everything was recorded and all of our text messages aren't saved somewhere. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, there are, you know, even if you clean your own server or somebody else's server, somewhere out there, there's a server that has something and these things have a way of coming up. So the key is the question. You have to read the question very carefully and respond to the question. And when people call me looking for help, the first thing I ask them to do is send me the question. What, do you, what exactly are you being asked? And you have to be aware that, that different folks ask different questions along the way. So it may be a, a general application that asks one thing. An individual school may have its own application. Uh, further down the road, you'll deal with, with credentialing agencies, licensing agencies, things along those lines. And, and the questions are always different. So, A, you want to see what the question is asking. And B, to get a bit ahead of ourselves, answer the question. Don't feel a need to go on and, and throw in lots of other things. And again, while we're getting a, a bit ahead, one of the things that I run into when people send me examples or send me what they propose to submit is that they that they leap on their swords. You know, I did this and, you know, so I'm going to, you know, take full responsibility and, oh, oh my gosh, and, and on and on and on. And it's not necessary to do that. It's not, one shouldn't be dishonest, but neither does one have to be, you know, you know, be accountable to the nth degree for what's happened. Respond to the question. And if they have further questions, they'll ask the questions from there. But so both extremes are, are a bad thing to do. Yeah. What are some, because you've had a lot of students calling you, communicating with you, what are maybe the most challenging question that you've gotten that, that you've, you've had to really dance around with a student? Well, the most challenging one are students who want to 
say that their record was expunged or that, or that something was sealed or it happened as a juvenile and they don't have to respond. And when I tell them they do, based upon the question asked, they get very frustrated and want to find some other way to do it. And I, you know, I, all I can do is encourage them to, you know, to maintain honesty and, and at that point, wish them the very best. Yeah. Another kind of problem that I run into are people who have had serial issues, meaning at, at age 13, they did one thing at age 14, something else at age yeah. 17, something else. And, um, you know, the issue is, you know, how do I come up with a way of showing that I'm no longer that person and then working with them to try to build a response that is uh, within itself uh, explanatory of what took place and encouraging in the belief of someone who's now moved on. And so with those people trying to find uh, information uh, that will demonstrate that they put these issues behind them. And then the last problem that I, I see are people who are, are going to different folks and getting advice, uh, some of whom are involved in this kind of process like you are, some of whom are, are friends, some of whom have made applications and whatever, and they don't really know who to listen to. And so trying to get those people to focus in on what they, they, they need to address, notwithstanding advice they may have received from others, can be challenging. Uh, in the in the end, all I can do is tell them what I think would be the best way to handle it, and uh, and let them go for there. Yeah. Why? Let me ask you this: Why would one lawyer say one thing and another lawyer say another? You you would assume the law is the law, and and there's there's no interpretation of the law, and it's that straightforward. So all the lawyers should be saying the same thing. Is it? Is it that you're more conservative or is it that you, because you do a lot of, of legal work in this area, you've just seen all of the issues that come up when, stu- when students or physicians or anyone with a license is, is trying to, to hide something or, and then something is found or dug up or whatever? What, why is there a difference there? Well, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty complicated question. So forgive me for taking a few minutes to answer it. The first one is a structural one. Uh, there are different states across the country and, and this kind of issue health is typically viewed as a state level issue, not a national issue. So you see a lot of variances across the states and how the states, uh, put together the laws and regulations that they relate to all this. So that's one reason. And so if you talk to a lawyer in one state with one set of experiences, that may be different than what's going on in the, in the place or what lawyers call jurisdiction where all of this is taking place. So that's one, one level. The second reason uh, is that different lawyers have different experiences. Uh, you know, being a lawyer is not a unidimensional thing. Being a lawyer is something that involves not just training, but experience. And a lot of people who assume because they uh, negotiate contracts or uh, help people in criminal courts or help people advocate for themselves in injuries or things like that, that they understand how these administrative processes work. And the reality is that while they undoubtedly have useful things to say, they don't have experience with these kind of administrative proceedings, uh, which are uh, tend to 
touch on the law, but are often not driven by the law. Uh, so they are advocates, but maybe not advocates in these kinds of settings. Um, third, uh, it's a matter of identifying who the audience is and figuring out how to deal with it. And there is both a category of audiences, which are people who are of administrative or regulatory types who look for and listen for and want to hear certain kind of things. Um, and so you need to be kind of sensitive to that. Mm. I have worked on many hundreds at this point of licensing cases um, involving a variety of different kinds of uh, regulatory agencies and work with people um, who have uh, credentials or are seeking credentials and talked about what what's involved in trying to successfully uh, work their way through those proceedings. Um, I don't pretend to be uh, that you know unusual. There are loads of people out there who do what I do, but the point is to try and get help from people who do this sort of thing on an ongoing basis, as opposed to people who are simply familiar with the law, either professionally or in a uh, avocational kind of way and want to weigh in on what's going on. Yeah. It's very similar to medicine, right? I think students listening to this can understand why someone with a, a liver issues doesn't go to an orthopedic surgeon, right? The orthopedic surgeon doesn't, even though they can cut you open, they don't know what's going on with the liver. And uh, a, a patient may present in a certain way, and unless the physician either remembers that presentation and that diagnosis from their studies or has seen patients with similar presentations to, to diagnose that. There's, there's a saying in the medical world that you can't diagnose something if you don't think about it. And it's, it seems very similar, right? For a lawyer, if you, don't, if you don't do this kind of work a lot or if you haven't seen that one weird issue that can come up, then you don't know how to, to give that advice to, to a client. And if you haven't gone through the process and seen how these things turn out, yeah. uh, you don't, you, you, you don't appreciate it. Um, you know, there's an old expression and I apologize to all the carpenters I'm about to offend, but you know, if you go to a carpenter for help, they're invariably going to tell you what to do with a hammer. <laughs> if you go to a, you go to a plumber for help. They're going to tell you how to, how a wrench can take care of what you need. Yep. If you go to a lawyer who's experienced doing a certain kind of law, that's what they know works. If you go to someone who is more experienced with and familiar with these kinds of regulatory and administrative type of situations, then they can draw on that experience and, and tell you how to proceed. So it's it's really the experience part of it, which is as important as, as anything else. And I would suggest more important than anything else. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about kind of what a student should be doing maybe in preparation to write their response to these questions. So just uh, just to frame this conversation too, for a student, if you haven't seen an application, most of the medical school applications are going to ask if you have any felonies, and then they're going to ask for a response for that. They're going to ask if you have any misdemeanors, they're going to ask for a response to that. Um, and, and also for institutional actions, if your school gave 
give you any sort of punishment or you were reprimanded by your school in any way. They're going to ask for that. So being prepared to think about those things. So with that said, how should a student start to gather the information, start thinking about how they want to respond to these? So um, I think the, the first thing to do, again, and I know I've said this before, but it really is key here. The first thing to do is to look at the questions that are being asked. So a question like, you know, it's, um, have you had any felonies is probably more general than what you're going to see. The question is likely to be, have you been arrested for a felony? Have you been convicted of a felony? Uh, so it's important to see what the questions are and then to you determine based on your own experience whether you fall into one of those categories. Um, that's that's as I said before, you know, the key to what's going on here. Um, it's and and getting some guidance may be helpful. I've had situations where students have called me and said that they were convicted of a certain kind of a, offense, and I asked them to send me the uh form they signed the plea agreement form to see what they convicted of i then go look at the state code that's involved i look at the code and it's different than what they think happened so here they are 10 or 11 years later when they're applying to medical school they think for all these years they've pled to one thing it turns out they pled to something else and they may have thought they med pled to a felony and it may turn out to be that they pled to a misdemeanor so it's very important in the first instance to, find, to see what the question is and then relate it back accurately to the uh, event to, what, to the extent they can so we can see what really went on. And then the response gets built around that and not simply one's good or, or not so good memory of what took place. Yeah, that definitely <laughs> that definitely comes up a lot. Like, I don't remember, but here's what I think it is. Can a student go and run their own uh, like criminal record report or background report to find out what schools may find out? How do, how can they do that? Well, there are, there's a whole cottage industry of people out there who will run your quote history close quote. Some of it can be found online. Some of it can can go through an agency and find out what's in your background. What what do people know out there about you? Or what's knowable is even more important about you. Um, so they can certainly try that. The only thing I would caution is if you're going to get on to an Internet site and do it that way, it's important to make sure the Internet site is really as thorough and comprehensive as it claims that it is and as you need it to be. Uh, maybe better to call a, uh, an investigative agency, uh, interview them to find out what they're going to do, and then have the search done. Because the last thing you want is to pay a bunch of money to have someone do a search and have them miss something that someone else may find later. So again, there are ways of doing it online. There are ways of doing it with individuals. Uh, someone like me is probably not going to be able to help you with that directly. Uh, we're going to send you to somebody or identify someone who can do that for you. Yeah. So what's the next thing a student should be thinking about and doing for this? Um, well, and this is not a plea for, for work for lawyers uh, or anyone else, but um, it, it's really important to appreciate how 
what a, a lasting impression your writing will be. Um, what you write about this may be something that will stay with you for a long time. It'll have significant uh, impact on your ability to get into medical school potentially. Um, and it's something that to the extent that your school records are ever accessible on this issue, what you said when you applied, it's something that's going to be there later. So the, the written record you create is very important. And so uh, it'd be a good idea, I think, to go out and get someone to help you with drafting the document. As I mentioned earlier, the most common thing I see, or the two most common things I see when people send me drafts of what they plan to submit is either that they haven't said enough or they've said way too much and raised new issues that weren't there in the first place. So it's important to get help with the drafting. Uh, students, and I would dare say doctors, are not trained to be advocates for themselves. They've trained to become scientists, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And as scientists, they can do loads of things that I, as a lawyer, could never do. But one thing that I, as a lawyer or other people trained as a lawyer, can do is advocate and understand how the written word uh, creates an impression. So uh, for that reason and for one other reason, uh, it's important to get help drafting. The, other, the one other reason is that this is an extremely emotional event for many people. Um, I rarely get someone calling me and saying sort of just sort of a, a conversational way, oh, by the way, I'm calling you because it, you know, it turns out I've got an application I want to submit and I, I have a couple of felonies in my background. So what do you think I ought to do? People do not call with that kind of affect. They call, you know, you can hear on the phone how stressed they are. And when you're stressed, you're probably not the best person to be doing something. You bet you're better off getting help. So I think getting help with the drafting, whoever that turns out to be, a friend, uh, you know, a family member, somebody other than you to be looking at it and, and sorting this out. And, you know, someone who's trained as an advocate is probably your best bet if you can afford to, to engage someone to do that. Yeah. From a from a legal side of things, I think a lot of students get scared and and choose to potentially hire a lawyer when maybe they don't because they think that their response has to be very lawyerish, right? And lawyer writing is very scary and very technical. How technical um, should these responses be, or is it better for the student if they're not technical? I think the more complex the situation, the more it needs a lawyer or some other kind of advocate to help. The more simple the situation, the more the individual can do with them help them by themselves. Although, again, I would get someone to participate who's not immediately involved um, to deal with the uh, problem of emotion and how that can play a role. But I would say that, you know, if I could sort of offer now a a few suggestions, sort of in a little bit of a narrative, uh, some guidance on how to deal with the situations that are that are fairly uh, simple and straightforward. Would that be all right? Yeah. So the first thing to do is, and again, I keep coming back to this, be clear about what you're responding to and respond only to that. Second, if there's a process involved, in other words, this is going to be submitted for review and then it's going to go to the next level or it's going to go here or there. Make sure you know what the process is. It could just be as simple as submitting it with this application, or you may be finding yourself walking into a process such that 
if there are felonies involved, you're going to have to do further things. So make sure you know what it is that you're responding to and, and what stage you're at and what kind of information they want at that stage. Next, identify the audience. Who's going to be reviewing this? Is this going to be a, a, a single administrator? Is it going to be a board? Is it going to be a, a high-level individual within the process? I've had cases where people call me where the, the, the application is going to be looked at by the dean of, of uh, some department within a, within a school. So find out who the audience is. And if you can find out who the audience is, Try to read up a little bit on who that who those people are, and you can get a little idea of what they uh, think is important, things they may have written or whatever. So you know who it is you're writing to, and what they're expecting to see. Next, uh, assemble the documentation. If you're talking about a, a misdemeanor or a felony, and there's a plea agreement, try and get copies of whatever it is out there that uh, is involved. That may mean going to the court and getting something out of the court files, it's an arrest record. It may mean going to the police department to see if you can get access a copy of that record, but get a copy of what it is you're dealing with so you actually know what it is and are not guessing about it. Uh, if there was a, a plea that was signed, get a copy of that so you know what it is that you signed off. If you engaged in a training program and completed it and got a certificate, if you participated in some activity that involved a probation officer who wrote a report, uh, get that, uh, but pull together all the documents that apply. And then if going forward, you did some things to try and put yourself on a better path, if there was an alcohol issue involved and you went into a treatment center, uh, you might get something like a discharge summary that shows that you successfully treated the dis the, uh, the uh, rehabilitation or the treatment program um, and, and put all of those together if they're applicable. Uh, the more severe it is, the more beneficial it may be to have people who can vouch for you. The application process may allow for that or it may not. Just one observation I would make on references, uh, don't get all of the same people. Don't have all of your brothers and sisters each write something saying what a, what a stout person you are. <laughs> get, it, get a family member, get a friend. Um, people uh, who are in the uh, ministerial world, like uh, uh, re uh, ministers or uh, rabbis or uh, priests or whatever, who can vouch for mm. who you are having spent time with you, tend to carry a great deal of weight. Uh, people in an education program who know you, people who are part of a treatment program, a guidance counselor, a social worker, or someone like that. Again, you don't always, in fact, probably not very often will references be appropriate, but in the right situation where there's been a series of events and you're now trying to say that you've moved on or at a different path, that can be helpful. Then pull those together. Then finally, with regard to the, to the document itself, uh, the length and detail, again, depend upon what's being asked. It may call for a fairly short and simple, a few sentences. It may call for some paragraphs, uh, but make the content and late uh, responsive to the issue uh, that's been raised. And focus again, I can't say this strongly enough, focus on what's being asked and don't get off to things that aren't, aren't being asked. Finally, yeah. review review what you're going to submit. 
Um, if it looks sloppy, if there are misspellings, if there's bad grammar, uh, you're sending the message that you're someone who's not a very careful and, and, and precise person. And if you've had these things in your background, that feeds the idea that you're at risk. If on the other hand, it's clean, it's straightforward, it's well-written, it's articulate, you send the impression that you're someone who's thoughtful and in control of your life. Yeah. I just want to to read for the student listening to this who may not have looked at the application or doesn't know what the application to ask. I want to just quickly look at the AMCAS application and a COMAS application. So the MD application, the DO application, the AMCAS application, the MD application, they very much are very specific and say, um, have you ever been convicted of or pleaded guilty or no contest to a felony crime excluding one any offense for which you were uh, educated as a adjudicated as a juvenile or two convictions which have been expunged or sealed by a court in states where applicable so the the AMCAS application, it's a very specific question. They give you a couple outs. They tell you it's a very state-based thing. But they also, in the application, give you some very specific information that says you do not need to disclose any instance where you were arrested but not charged, arrested and charged, but the charges were dropped. And it just goes on and on. So it gives you a lot of those um, kind of choose your own adventures. Be like, which one applies to me? And it's the same question for um, uh, felony and misdemeanor. Very, very similar. The misdemeanor one's a little bit longer. The ACOMIS application, the DO application, isn't as specific. It just says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Have you ever been convicted of a misdemeanor? So even when you're applying to medical schools, you may have to answer no to one and yes to another, it seems like. Absolutely. They're asking different questions and they're providing different parameters for the analysis of what what falls within and what falls without. Uh, so very, very different and would call on different responses. In the, in the DO application, uh, they're not excluding matters which have been sealed, and they're not excluding cases that have been expunged. Uh, so uh, you're dealing with, with, with very different circumstances and the need to respond in very different ways. Yeah. It's very frustrating for students going through this process. And it's one of the most frustrating things for me when I'm giving advice to students. I'm like, it depends, it depends, it depends, it depends, right? What school does this? It depends. How do schools look at that? I don't know. It depends. Um, and, and part of that is it's good because some schools may be more lenient and some schools may not be. And it, you, you have a chance at some. Exactly. Exactly right. Oh, so it seems like, let me, as a lawyer, what would you think of a response? I, I got this response from a student. He's, he sent me a message saying, here's how I responded to a question about a institutional action from a school. The student didn't get into medical school. They applied. And uh, the response to the institutional action was, I was wrongly convicted of cheating and uh, I was forced to um, to change schools. <laughs> so that that was their response to, have you ever been uh, like given an institutional action? I'm like, um, I don't know if that's a good response. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's very defensive. Yeah. Um, and I would say, again, another takeaway point uh, when when responding to these kind of things is the more 
defensive you sound, the more guilty you're presumed. Mm. I can't say that's absolutely every situation, but I can say that time and again, before regulatory boards, you know, responding to administrators, credentialing and things like that, someone who comes in and is very defensive, the assumption is, well, you're being defensive for a reason. The reason being that you did something that you shouldn't have done. Now, that's not necessarily, in fact, what happened, but that's the response. Yeah. And so uh, the better course is to be forthcoming about what occurred, be honest in describing what took place, uh, be respectful of the, the process that you were in and respectful of the uh, situation you're in now providing this and be humble. Uh, your goal here is to get someone to look past something that's obviously a matter of concern and they wouldn't have asked about it. And so you want them to think of you as someone who is, has, has, has had an experience, learned from it and moved on. That's what they're looking for more than anything else. And if they can be satisfied with that, you got a shot. If they think that you have not learned from the experience, if they think you've not moved past it, they think you're at risk of doing it again in the future, if they think you're arrogant and as a result, don't think that the rules apply to you, uh, they're going to look at you in a very, in a way that's, that's not going to be uh, productive of the outcome that you're looking for, which is to be admitted or to get the credential or whatever it may be. Yeah. And that's the exact same thing that they're looking for when when a student comes in who struggled early on the freshman, sophomore year, had terrible grades and finally turned it around their junior, senior year. They're they're looking for that growth and that that determination and resilience and what you've learned from it and why it's not going to be an issue moving forward. It's, It's the same thing over and over and over again. Life has a way of doing that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Larry, I think that was awesome kind of uh, further dive into legal issues that students are uh, unfortunately facing. Um, for a student who may want to contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I'd appreciate contacting me by email. And my email address is basically my name. My name is Larry J. Cohen. So my email address is ljc at ljcohen.com. Again, ljc at ljcohen.com. And I'm happy for anyone I speak with to provide sort of an initial reaction to the situation you're in and provide some guidance, uh, maybe direct you to some source or give you some confidence in how you can handle it yourself for people who want me to be more involved. And I, I'm happy to do that at no charge for people who are looking for more help than that. My rate is $200 an hour. Um, and, uh, uh, and that's not your normal, right? That's a discounted rate for, for students that are listening, right? Right. I, I usually bill out between three fifty and four fifty an hour for the work that I do. So yeah. this is a substantially reduced rate, but I, you know, I appreciate that students come into these situations. They don't have a whole lot of money. Yeah. And so I try to keep the rates as, as low as I can. Yeah. It might be interesting, just kind of uh, top of mind, and we can cut this out if, if you don't like this, but it might be interesting to to maybe develop a, a, a short worksheet that students can download and maybe it has a, a few different um, kind of 
template responses just for students to get an idea of, of how they may be able to, to look at something and respond to something? You know, I'd be happy to do that, Ryan. Um, probably as my workload, you know, decreases um, and I have more time available, I'd be really, really happy to do this. You're, you're going to be in the business of presenting and working with these students <laughs> for many, many years. I'd be happy to, to put together something that sort of says, well, if it's this situation, then do these things. If it's this situation, do those things. It would take me a little time to think about it. And I want to put together something that I'd be confident in offering, but I, I certainly could do that. All right. So there you have it. Again, email Larry, LJC at L-J-C-O-H-E-N dot com. He'll uh, hopefully get back to you as soon as possible. He's a busy lawyer himself, so um, he has graciously volunteered a little bit of time for you. And then if you need some further advice, then he's uh, has a drastically reduced price for you. I don't get any commissions, any kickbacks, anything of the sort for you going and working with Larry. This is just something uh, that I feel a lot of you need, unfortunately, because you've had some run-ins with the law, um, and uh, that that's okay. And hopefully he can help you. Hopefully you can overcome whatever issues you've had in the past and can get into medical school. Don't forget to check out mappedmappd.com. I'll see you next week for episode 400. This is MedEd Media.